This podcast is brought to you in association with Cloud Banking. So, if you look at it, our generation has been very lucky that we have seen all the big digital revolution right from the landline turning into the mobile generation and the whole smartphone revolution or the high speed internet on the smartphone. And I think the whole digital infrastructure is a factor of that. then comes the payment side which is the upi thing while india was already ahead through imps for the instant payments with upi coming in it just democratized the digital payments at a mass level and we have like 40 million merchants accepting digital payments through qr codes i think it's a real unimagined revolution i would say which npci and rbi has brought in to the market This is the GFF 23 show. This podcast brings you a taste of the Global FinTech Fest organized by the National Payments Corporations of India, Payments Council of India and the FinTech Convergence Council, happening in Mumbai from the 5th through the 7th of September 2023. Over the past 3 years, GFF has grown to become the largest FinTech summit globally, demonstrating the pivotal role of FinTech and driving sustainable global advancement by showcasing a 360 degree view of its transformative potential. Today we have Mr. Vivek Bergavi, who is a partner at PwC, having a virtual sit down with Jitendra Gupta, founder and CEO of Jupiter Money. Vivek and Jitendra get into a lot of hot button topics within the fintech and banking space straight off the bat and share some great insights from each other's experiences. Jitendra also shares his journey of founding one of the most successful neo banks world over. which is changing the indian banking landscape especially for the young mobile first tech savvy indian customer pricewaterhousecoopers is the knowledge partner for this episode hi folks this is vivek pilgavi i am a partner in pwc i look after fintech the topic of today's podcast is the gray area of open banking landscape in india how does india look at the open banking innovation i have a pleasure and privilege to have jitendra gupta he is a ceo and founder jupiter a fintech startup revolutionizing the banking experience in india jitin let me welcome you to the podcast and allow you to share your introduction please thanks vivek a uh, quick intro i'm founder of jupiter money which is providing the banking experience to younger generation in india fantastic jitin couldn't have thought through a better person to have this conversation with to just get into the the nub of the matter starting with probably we'll tap your thoughts on what is open banking and what are the need gaps that you think it is filling sure so vivek if we, if you look at it open banking is a concept emanated from uh, europe where the view of the regulator was that the data of the customer belongs to customer and today banks generate lot of data while customers are transacting and banks become the holder of data now when customer wants those data they generally either have to go to the bank and request and there is a process so while there is a lot of value which resides in the data for the customer and for other entities who can leverage that data to provide offering to the customer so the european regulator first introduced this term saying that open banking data through apis for access to be given to others 
with the consent of the customer. And I think this is the whole terminology of open banking came into existence. Of course, this term has further expanded in terms of can you leverage the bank license to provide a better banking experience to consumers or SME customers without holding the license by fintech entity. And the scope is just expanding as we uh, speak. So globally, there is this terminology called neobanks on the customer side, on the consumer side, on the SME side, which have come into existence. Then there are uh, concepts around co-lending where the fintech entity and the banks partner leveraging these concepts. So effectively, net-net, the license is not becoming the prohibition to start business of banking services and providing the better products to consumers or SMEs. And I think net-net, any fintech entity by tying up with the bank, having access to APIs of the banking system can provide a great product and service to the customers. Great, Jitin. Now, if as I was reflecting on it, I thought it's going to basics of what really banking is and you covered some aspects of it. At the minimum, it it takes deposits, allows uh, a customer to save. It's there when lending requirements are there. It supports in investments, wealth and growth. It does support with protection, the probably the broad categories across both retail, SME, corporate, those customer segments. So when we say, uh, and probably for our audience, if we double click on it, on nuancing open banking and you brought up neo banking, then how how is that defined? If all those aspects are completely overlapping, are there distinctive spaces where uh, neo banking is playing, or is it leveraging of the open banking infrastructure? Just demystify that aspect a bit. Sure. So I think today, in context of banking or so-called open banking, uh, I still see the scope being limited to payments, bank accounts, and lending, and saving to the extent of money being parked into the bank accounts. So I think this is how I see the concepts of open banking. Now, you know, the biggest open banking concept, in fact, in my view, is in India, uh, like UPI, uh, which is a classic case where you don't have to log into your banking app to authenticate your payment transaction. You can do it from any third-party app. Similarly, companies like us, which is Jupiter and Bank Open or Pi, these companies are providing the banking services in partnership with a licensed bank or by leveraging the APIs of licensed bank to provide a great product and service to the customers. And uh, on the lending side, we are already seeing companies like UB and so many uh, fintech NBFCs doing co-lending with banks and providing a cheaper lending product with a great experience with a newer segment to be tapped on the lending side. So I think all of these three use cases are very, very dominant when it comes to open banking concepts in India. Great example, Jitin. But let me ask a frank question, like in this same period or last couple of years, we have seen the banks themselves, they have upgraded the, the digital banking experience. And there are many apps, which each of the banks is also running in the market. Considering they themselves are creating those digital options uh, across UPI and all the digital aspects. But at the same time, we know that the channel side of things, as you gave few examples of neobanks, digital lenders, that ecosystem has also flourished. 
what's the reason for that i think it's a factor of opportunity and the market size so while it is right in saying that private banks and sbi maybe specifically are pushing lot of focus on providing so called digital banking experience in a great manner to their customers but that being said i think india still has like 40 plus mainstream banks and thousands and thousands of cooperative urban district and all of those kind of banks and when you look at the appetite of all of these banks maybe five or six banks have appetite to do better or to invest into uh, new newer technologies or talent or processes or the service but the rest 40 banks don't have that appetite and mindset maybe dna so from a opportunity size i still see scope for not just existing banks but entities like us to come into picture and partnering with this balance 40 odd banks and provide services to the customers in the desired manner or in the i would say elevated manner in my observation then early if i look at the evolution of it at some point there was an aspect where the open banking partners the new banks the fintechs they were helping create a bit of a channel access of being digital native of being able to work out acquisition digital acquisition models a little better and using levers like that but again as you rightly said some of the progressive banks have really caught up to it we do see the next evolution happening not just from a channel access to so let's assume an msme or a retail consumer both digitally and physically is accessible to both the incumbent banks as well as the fintechs but going forward the evolution that we are seeing is the nuance will come as unique customer value propositions are built out and that might be difficult for a universal bank to track every micro segment every micro need is that what you see as well and is that the way the open banking leverage would evolve so definitely uh, vivek uh, i think this whole segmented way of catering to customers is a definite play right so like classic example is let's say kota cap now kota cap has has to cater to a 18 year old customer and a 70 year old customers but both they very very differently and that's why they came out with this kota cat 11 and did a phenomenal job in targeting the younger consumers typically below 30 and similar like if you look at it all the independent banking services companies like us were trying to cater to customer segments which are in the age group of like 22 to 30 uh because this is the age group which is more savvy mobile first is not used to visiting to the branches or do not expect to go to the branch for their banking needs so i think this is one segment like there's an there's a company called lesser bank open which goes to sme which is typically having turnover of 50 lakhs to uh, 2 crores per annum and those smes expect their payroll to be done smoothly though the sms expects their day to day payouts to be done from a single interface they expect the collections to happen and reconcile with their bank statement in automated manner uh, because otherwise they have to put lot of like at least one or two people to do only that so i think these are niche cohorts emerging and these are niche products emerging and net net though i would say well your starting point become with a product market fit of a particular segment 
but at a scaled state each of these fintechs in my view will end up expanding and this is where they will also hit the same challenge as any other large entity that how do i keep the relevance of the product to a particular cohort because it's very difficult for a large bank to uh, have a different proposition for different cohorts they can't change their apps as per the age group at least if that can be done i would say that will be a real personalization or contextualization to the customer segment but i have not seen any bank thinking about that and this is why we are seeing a lot many independent companies coming and catering to these segmented cohorts yeah you brought up brought up an interesting point when you mentioned the bank open strategy on sme that they've been able to offer and when i talk to them they see more themselves more like a tech saas player right of who are there to do finance automation for msmes and then of course plug in banking into the whole journey kind of an embedded finance story now the same kind of a proposition is very difficult for a bank to replicate because of the regulatory space it operates in it, it cannot really get into meaningful non banking activities i'm just wondering if this natural division will allow for these two models to coexist much longer than we think like there's one view that the fintechs and banks will all converge some fintechs will become banks some banks will start operating like fintechs but this one regulatory constraint and the customer acquisition strategy would ensure that there is a market for fintech partners going forward yeah that's true i think you rightly said vivek that for a bank to do software services or automation services beyond just bank account or core banking services neither is easy nor it is i would say possible to focus and this is why they will also end up partnering so these models invariably will end up coexisting i don't think so it will be either or strategy let me just pivot to other point uh, we discussed a little while back on how uh, upi is an example of open banking already in the works and it was enabled by a digital public infrastructure and uh, similarly ekyc has been supporting so just wanted your assessment of the current state of the digital infrastructure that we have what is relevant what works well and what are the gaps where do we think we need to invest more in public digital infrastructure before we go on with the episode a quick word from our sponsors in the heart of the banking world where every second counts and efficiency is paramount a revelation a cloud solution indian banking can rely upon cloud banking process loans in less than 10 minutes with seamless integration automation at its finest and workflows that adapt to your needs step into the future elevate your bank's lending operations with cloud banking now back to the episode so i think if you if you look at it we have been very lucky our generation have been has been very lucky that we have seen all the big digital revolution right from you know the landline turning into the mobile generation and the whole smartphone revolution or the high speed internet on the smartphone and i think that is the whole uh, digital infrastructure is a factor of that one we indians have been very very fast adopting uh, technologies at a faster pace second what government has also done 
considering this behavior they have also moved very very fast at a mass scale which is not easy for governments to move so this whole aadhar uh, like 1 billion plus aadhar in a digital way and authenticating uh, your identity in a presenceless way i think it's a real achievement on the part of the government which solves many problems in the financial services because today the biggest problem in any financial services business is that how do you authenticate or verify the identity of the person right so this the aadhar solves that then comes the payment side which is the upi thing i think while india was already ahead through imps for the instant payments with upi coming in it just democratized the digital payments at a mass level and i could never imagine like way back in 2015 i remember we always used to talk that we have this 5 million pos devices or 10 million pos devices so at best that is the digital payments market now with the upi coming in we have like 40 million merchants accepting digital payments through qr codes i think is a real unimagined revolution i would say which npci and uh, rbi has brought in uh, to the market so that's the second important ingredient the third important ingredient of the digital revolution is the internet access and i would give a large part of the credit to jio without any of my association with jio by the way but i would give a large part of uh, credit to jio who democratized internet access at a cheaper cost at a high speed to 300 million plus population in a span of just 2 years or 2 and a half years so unimaginable i would say and and of course now airtel and other telcos have caught up and we have now reached almost half a billion plus uh, smartphone users with a high speed internet access and like i'm sure people must have read but india is the highest per capita data consumption economy so that clearly shows that we are adopting things faster so that's a third pillar of this whole digital revolution and now the fourth pillar which is now democratizing commerce through ondc yeah i think every couple of years we are seeing a new pillar being built and then that pillar gets solidified in 2 to 3 years and then government or the regulators keep coming out with new such pillars so i feel so lucky to be part of the generation and see all of those revolution happening right in front of my eyes so i would say that all of these ingredients are kind of basics needed for any financial services or a fintech business to be successful and we have all of those uh, in india possible so my personal take is that now we have the foundation work done and but the another pillar i forgot was gst so the implementation of gst at a mass level which sort of brought in every bill to be available online and uh, and which can be utilized to assess for credit to small businesses so i think these are like five pillars effectively which evolved in last 6 to 7 years so now next 10 years while these five pillars are there i'm sure government or the regulators will think couple of more such but the next 10 years is a beautiful time to build any financial services and especially fintech business so that's my personal take understood excellent so today pivoting to the uh, regulatory aspect of things 
would be great if you can give us a kind of a primer on what are the regulatory pillars which are governing the open banking infrastructure today and where do you foresee gray areas or where the regulator regulations have to evolve as we move forward i think from a regulatory standpoint if you look at it rbi has been quite open when it comes to uh, concept of open banking and they rolled out this whole account aggregator framework where it gives power back to customer to share the data to any third party in a secure manner and an authenticated manner so that is a very good framework and a clear framework governed by rbi second even like in a context of upi if you look at it rbi has through npci very clearly defined framework in terms of how authentication has to happen how the data will flow how the balances cannot be stored in the third party app very well laid out uh, plan there i think there is also very well laid out concepts by rbi in terms of data privacy that when a fintech and a bank work together what kind of data privacy and the data security have to be followed by the third parties working with regulatory entities and we have seen a very clear example in case of digital lending where a lsp the loan service provider and a regulatory entity how the data sharing and the communication and that mentioning of key fact statement about the loans to the customer by the lsp has to happen so i think rbi has been bringing in more and more clarity on these topics so they have been very clear even like there is this new concept of open credit like the oken concept which government and the regulator have introduced where on the one side the lenders can come in on the other side where the demand side players can come in to meet their credit needs i think that is again a very solid example of how the regulator has been open to these concepts and experimenting there that being said i think it's a fast evolving world so there are always scope of doing more so if you look at a business like us where we use business correspondent guidelines of rbi which were uh, drafted way back 15 years back maybe and they are no more relevant in the current context of digital world maybe those guidelines need to be relooked at in terms of how a fintech entity which deals in banking services in partnership with a licensed bank how they have to update their business and bring in more clarity around that second i think the whole gray area around fldg is still open yeah like it's nowhere define whether a fintech entity can provide the loan default guarantee to a regulatory entity and to what extent it is acceptable not acceptable i think that clarity is missing but as i said i think it's a fast evolving world even for a regulator i'm assuming sooner or later they would catch up on these gray areas as well we have seen like last year they brought few clarities on business models where they were not comfortable with the whole uh, ppi uh, credit on ppi where the prepaid card was used as credit card so they were not comfortable so they brought in those clarities so i think they have been doing reasonably great job in my view to keep bringing clarity when needed giving the scope for innovation seeing how the innovation goes and uh, 
there's always uh, they'll keep improving uh, with the time in terms of uh, plugging the areas yeah a very valid point you then i think any such new areas where the current business like in this financial services business has to expand we will get into a bit of uncharted territory especially as more and more digital gets used but these feedbacks are important because at the same time we are also discovering the business model right so many of these business models in exact same and shape and form haven't existed uh, in a similar form have existed in terms of partnerships but with these two answers using technology using access so yeah so we have to uh, recognize that we are as a ecosystem between regulatory and participants and even as investors anyone everyone who is participating in it is is exploring an uncharted territory but also where the need is there like the reason this industry exists is there is a need which has not got solved and probably yeah so that that would be a good good way to describe the way we should navigate this gray But on this note, Jitin, as you have set up your business, you would have seen some of the comparative models which are evolving elsewhere in the world. So, what geographies, what kind of models have caught your interest, and you think we should take a deeper look at that? Whether something which a country is doing, or something which a a neo bank or a similar fintech is doing, leveraging the open banking infrastructure. Sure. so i would comment my answer specifically in context of jupiter so i think if you look at uh, our business model and the market in which we operate in uh, which is the emerging economy the most analogous uh, market uh, i find is brazil because of the societal behavior and uh, way communities behave are similar if not same and the company which i find analogous is new bank which actually happens to be one of our investor as well so i see a same way the new bank how they built uh, in brazil where the market structure was similar there were like five banks controlling 70 80% kind of market share and these banks were of course dinosaurs uh, moving slow by the same time controlling uh, high amount of trust in the consumer base the credit was underpenetrated the credit needs were not being served the branch was still a primary mode of service the consumers uh, digital experiences were very broken so a new bank came in and within last 7 8 years i would say now they have almost like 40% plus market share unbelievable i must say that whenever i think of it and look at nps of the entity like trending at 85 nps like most of the indian banks to my knowledge their nps is below 40 so clearly they have done something right and we have a similar aspiration for indian market where we can focus on providing a great service and uh, products and services which are more contextual to the customers needs so i think we look up to them for sure and i see clearly a great scope for providing jupiter kind of services to uh, indian population because fortunately in india people are adopting digital financial services faster yeah now only challenge i would say in a market like india which is slightly different i think the upi has been a game changer so which did not exist in brazil back then now there is a pix so because of upi 
I would say bank apps were anyway getting disintermediated. So that makes tasks harder for entities like us to provide a better experience on payments at least. So we, we are also leveraging the UPI uh, rails effectively. Second is, I think the whole top four, top five banks, I would say they are moving at a reasonably good speed. Unlike Brazil, where the top five banks did not respond for first five years because they were in disbelief that this can ever happen. Now, when your large banks are moving at a reasonably good speed, it's not easy to create a business in a competitive environment. So that is one challenge. So we at Jupiter, we have to be continuously think, how can we provide a great value prop to the customers? Because we can't compete on cash uh, incentives. Uh, I mean, we are not anywhere close to balance sheets of any of these large banks. So then we have to compete on a great product only. So that's the second uh, difference I see between the Brazil and here. And third, are the customer expectations in India. So while in Brazil, new bank had like credit card as a first product, they could live with it for first three, four years before they rolled out uh, deposit product and then they rolled out investment product, then they rolled out the payment product over time. So they got sufficient time because the customer's expectations were not from their bank to provide comprehensive offering at one go. While in India, the bar is already high. So if you have to really win the customer's trust and their relationship, then you have to offer most of the things upfront. And this is where the job for a new fintech becomes tougher to create all those rails, to work on the experiences, to work on the great value prop, and at the same time, keep scaling. So I think that's, these are the key differences I see uh, from our standpoint between India and analogous market to India, which is Brazil. Fantastic points. And, uh, but we'll have to pick and choose certain learnings. Like for example, in something like a credit card, Brazil has done a much better adoption as opposed to India. So certain product gaps would also be known, little differentiated, right? Depending on a stage of market is in. So, but great points. I would love to cover detail two more themes before we kind of start winding down. Uh, one thematic is around how do we create sustainable, profitable businesses in the fintech world, leveraging the open banking infrastructure, looking at all the dynamics from regulatory to business to incumbent response that we spoke of. And second thematic would be to double click on the supplier side, the bank side. So from your lens, how do you see the development of their open banking infrastructure? What are the what are the good practices? What are the and what are the areas where more banks, insurers, and mutual funds who are the supply side participants of this ecosystem would need to gear up? So touching on the first thing, what are the levers for building a sustainable, profitable fintech side business? So this is the most tough question you asked me in this session. <laughs> but let's look at our business model. So what we are trying to do, we are trying to offer a deposit product to the consumer. We are trying to uh, offer a saving product to the consumer. And then we are trying to cross-sell loans and uh, co-branded credit cards to the consumer where the uh, real money lies. If you look at this business model, it's actually pretty much uh, a business model of a bank. So, so there's no difference from the business model standpoint. Now, the challenge is 
for any fintech business forget us is multifold one you have to create the infrastructure to offer your product and services which which in today's time looking at the tech talent cost and the product cost and all and the other overheads is overwhelming and in last 10 years i would say the cost of doing business has gone at least 7 to 8x yeah so, so the cost of starting is high so that's the challenge number one so effectively what that means is the cost of recovery of basically your recovery period of those cost is higher that's a one big challenge to create a sustainable business in a short run you need to invest a lot uh, up front second i think the regulatory and the compliance cost has also increased because the general expectation of compliance is very very high now so you cannot operate in today's world where you launch a product let it figure out whether it scales and then you figure out about compliances i think that's no more possible so that's another challenge i would say third i would say that customers has plethora of options to choose from so how do you generate the customer stickiness about your products become very very challenging and and the reality is that any new player which comes to the market doles out heavy incentives and grabs the customer attention and then tries to do more with the customers so any entity which is in the business today gets disrupted for that time so these are the challenges which i see in creating any fintech business sustainable in a short run that being said the reality is that fintech businesses are supposed to be the most profitable uh, businesses and it is actually possible because of the sheer scale of opportunity which india offers so while your margins would be lower but the adoption is higher and the scale is higher so if one operates the company with a discipline of cost of operation i think is very much possible to create a sustainable business so in my view the key levers are your cac your cost of operation and of course cost of product which you offer to the customers if these three levers if you can manage well one can create a very very sustainable business because now the the world has changed it's no more about you create a customer engagement platform for first 10 years and then you figure out monetization so that's no more possible so one has to keep these three levers in uh, mind right from day one so from our standpoint just to comment i would say we we are some time away for sure but we pay heavy attention to these three levers to reach to that point faster but it's not like a e-commerce business where these points are difficult to achieve fortunately financial services has a very big profit pool so those are fairly possible to achieve awesome so knowing this was a difficult question i make the last one easy the last thematic on looking at the the banks and of the equation who are the banks insurers mutual fund the financial institutions who are the supplier side on this open banking equation what are the good practices good tech uh that you have seen and uh, what are the areas where you think the supply side industry needs to ramp up so let me comment it first by rating where the supplier side equation stands today so i would say at a scale of 1 to 10 10 being the best the supplier side equation is still at like 4 or 
it is still not up to the max. There are only a couple of banks which are investing heavily when it comes to banking. Similarly, when it comes to insurance, there are a couple of insurance companies which are investing heavily to create the open uh, architecture. Mutual funds industry, to my knowledge, have not done anything in terms of the open architecture yet. Or the investment products industry also have not done anything. So only places where things are moving is the banking and the insurance side. But you can just count the players, two or three at best. The rest are still catching up. And this is why I have personally rated them low. But I would say that the positive side which I see, then most of the players are looking at what these two or three players are doing. They are realizing the benefits and they have started working on it, which is a great sign. And this is by corroborating with my previous statement that this decade is going to be a game-changing decade for Indian fintech industry because suddenly every required pillar is getting solved for from a supplier side, from the KYC side, from the open banking side, from the API access side, from the mindset standpoint. From the regulatory leverage standpoint, everything is getting solved for. So I think while the suppliers of uh, these products still need to do a great amount of job at a mass level, but I'm seeing there's a significant amount of work happening after looking at these two or three successes in the industry. Fantastic, Jitin. I think uh, it was lovely chatting with you. Hope the listeners would enjoy it. We could go deeper into some of these topics. There are many facets we covered it from regulatory to creating sustainable, profitable fintech business models to learning from global to what is the ask from the incumbent banks, insurances and mutual funds. I do think we have covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much, Jitain. And it was great to have you here and hope to do another one soon with you. Thank you. Thank you, Vivek and everyone else. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The GFF Show. If you've enjoyed this, make sure to tune in to the next episode releasing in just a few days. We want to take this opportunity to thank our host, Vivek Belgavi, partner at PwC, and our esteemed guest, Jitendra Gupta, CEO of Jupiter, for taking time off their schedule to bring you this episode. The Global Fintech Fest, global collaboration for a responsible financial ecosystem. Inclusive, resilient, sustainable happening in Mumbai from the 5th through the 7th of September, 2023. The Global Fintech Fest 23 is brought to you by the National Payments Corporations of India, the Payments Council of India, and the Fintech Convergence Council. For more details about GFF 23, visit globalfintechfest.com. To listen to previous episodes of the GFF 23 show, visit ubersaga.com. We also want to thank the team at Ubersaga, the official podcast partner for GFF23. Post-production and sound design by Subash. Editing, scripting and voiceover by Abe.